Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends and feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the fallout of the Jody Wilson-Raybould SNC-Lavalin scandal continues as the Ethics Commissioner has released a report damning the Prime Minister saying that his office did in fact interfere in the process with the Attorney General and her office. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Reaction continues to pour in from the Ethics Commissioner ruling that the Prime Minister violated the Conflict of Interest Act in regard to the Jody Wilson-Raybould SNC-Lavalin affair. Here's what the Prime Minister had to say in regard to uh, all of this, and he's still not apologizing, saying he was doing this Uh, for what he thought was right, standing up for Quebec jobs. I take full responsibility. The buck stops with the Prime Minister, uh, and I assume responsibility for uh, everything that happened in my office. Uh, This is important uh, because I truly feel that uh, what happened over the past year uh, shouldn't have happened. But we, at the same time, have a system in which we have to make improvements. All right, here's what Conservative leader Andrew Scheer had to say about it. I certainly believe that there is enough evidence here to uh, warrant a, an RCMP investigation. Uh, Justin Trudeau has attempted to uh, d- d- distract this scandal from Canadians. He has used the power of his office to shut down multiple parliamentary investigations. And NDP leader Jagmeet Singh and his thoughts on this. There's an ongoing trend where Mr. Trudeau seems to be working to use his influence and his power not to help people but to help those at the very top. Another clear example is the pharmaceutical industry. He made some commitments to reduce the price of medication. He abandoned those commitments after being in government for four years. Let's bring in Barry Kay, political science professor, Wilfrid Laurier University, and he is with us now. Barry, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hello, Scott. Your thought on what has happened and the uh, release of the report from the Ethics Commissioner? Well, it was coming. I guess the timing's a little bit interesting. Uh, It's not good news for Trudeau and the Liberals, of course. How bad the news is remains to be seen. Um, I suspect it will be somewhat bad in the sense that, uh, you know, as we're moving into the election campaign, uh, that it will be certainly one thing for the uh, Conservatives and other parties, perhaps, to go after Trudeau on. Um, I don't imagine it's going to be pivotal at the end of the day. Uh, that mean, The end of the day being October 21st. I think other issues, because this has already been considered by the Canadian electorate, and indeed for a while it, it hurt the, uh, I think the Liberals fell to a four or maybe even a five-point deficit nationally, um, at the worst of it. You know, when this first broke, I guess February, March, the Liberals did take a hit. The Conservatives were up. They were never in majority government territory. Yeah, we do see projections, as you know, mm-hmm. at lizpop.ca. And although there weren't a lot at the beginning, but as we moved into April and May, we found that the um, the Conservatives were certainly ahead in seats, but never in majority government time when this was sort of being considered the first time. So as a result, I would conclude, or I surmise at least, that... Um, if there's a hit for the liberals, it will not be devastating, but it may be of some consequence. It seems to be a bigger uh, factor in Western provinces where the liberals don't do so well and don't hold many seats anyway. In Ontario, that four or five point lead uh, for the conservatives was, wasn't replicated here. At best, I think the conservatives might have been up a point or so. Now they're down four or five points. Um, we'll see. Again, I, I don't want to suggest that I know what the future is going to be in terms of public opinion in the days to come. But my hunch is it will hurt the Liberals a little bit, but not enormously, and perhaps less so in Ontario than elsewhere 
that are places that are less receptive to the to Trudeau and the Liberals in the first place. We remember way back when, when this whole st- uh, story broke with Jody Wilson-Raybould and the SNC-Lavalin uh, deferred uh, prosecution agreement, and many were surprised, including me, that the Canadians even paid attention to this because it was pretty far into the weeds for most. Uh, that being said, it resonated for several weeks. I mean, my goodness, I think we talked about it every day for, for weeks. Uh, will the final chapter of this, thus being the Ethics Commissioner report, Will the final chapter be as uh, as uh, gripping as the first? I mean, will will this resonate with Canadians as much as this story did when it broke? Well, in general, one would think that the second time around, people are already somewhat inoculated toward it, um, and, uh, and th- this it was never devastating. It was it was certainly a factor, and because the public opinion polls pr- prior to it were reasonably close to begin with, that uh, the Liberals had been ahead and then were behind. Um, but um, my hunch is it will be a bit of a factor, but not a huge, a huge factor. And that we don't know what issues may emerge during the campaign. These so you don't think that this this report's going to resonate as much as the initial story? No, did. my hunch is if even with the the so much of it depends on the regional support. You know, when we start looking at seats in, in Canada, look what's critical is Ontario. Ontario is not just the biggest uh, province with the most 121 seats. It's got an awful lot of swing seats, especially in the the 905 area, the suburban ring around Toronto, extending into Hamilton and Niagara. Um, And um, it it didn't resonate there as much in the first place as it did um, as it did in Western Canada. In Western Canada, we've perhaps talked about this before. There's only two areas of Western Canada where the Liberals have much strength at all, and that's the cities of Winnipeg and Hamilton. Excuse me, Winnipeg and Vancouver. Um, and the rest of the Western Canada, if you look at maps that are available on our website and other websites, it's almost totally blue for the uh, for the Conservatives. Uh, so I don't think it's going to be huge, but it is an embarrassment. And indeed, um, uh, Singh and Shear and whoever else, uh, perhaps May, will sort of pick at it. And and look, um, Pierre Trudeau, or excuse me, Justin Trudeau is not his father. Uh, in fact, I think in many ways he's a, he's a lightweight, and he's made a number of other flubs quite apart from the handling of this issue. Uh, you know, the trip to India, the um, going to the Aga Khans. There have been a number of cases where there's been negative publicity about the Liberals. I, I think he is accident-prone, and at the moment I'm not sure he's in a position to win a majority even before all this occurred. Hmm. But, um, no, he makes mistakes, uh, makes mistakes that he does not handle well, unlike his father, who a lot of people may not remember far back his Father's Day. He is not as that astute a politician. Fortunately for him, Nobody else seems to have an astute politician <laughs> leading their party either, certainly not the, the uh, conservatives of the NDP. That's Shear a good has point. not caught on. Uh, Singh has not caught on. That's part of the reason that um, the Greens are doing better, but frankly, their, their strength is limited to certain pockets, particularly Vancouver Island. They are going to win more seats than ever. The block's up a bit um, in, in Quebec because for just for people who are unhappy with everybody. I think with another conservative leader, uh, this could have been a more devastating matter. And I, I don't want to say it can't happen, mm-hmm. but to think that it's going to have an even bigger impact the second go-round than it did the first, I find that hard to believe. What about the Prime Minister's response to all of this? Uh, I'm not going to apologize for standing up for jobs. That's my jobs. Uh, however, on the other hand, he said he assumes full responsibility. The buck stops here. It shouldn't have happened. It's not good enough. How, how do you say those lines and not apologize? Because at the end of the day, you're the one driving the bus. Well, not apologizing seems to be the style of Trump that everyone now, nobody wants to apologize. And people anymore. are pointing that out, Barry, that he he's certainly quick to apologize uh, for everything else and everyone else, but not for himself. Is that a factor? Um, yeah, I looked at the, the wording of this was, I'm sure, stage managed by his advisors. And uh, he thought that 
the, the buck st- stops here sounds like he's kind of acknowledging something without really acknowledging it personally. Um, it, it's a calculation that this is the best response to not deny it entirely because it can't deny it entirely, but to, to minimize whatever concession or apology he has to make. Um, and I suspect that's going to happen with whatever other flubs that, um, that he may. Look, he, I don't think he's a particularly effective politician. But as I said a minute ago, he, he has the good fortune to be surrounded by opponents who seem to be of similar caliber. Uh, you talked about staff uh, around him and such. Uh, Gerald Butts back in the picture helping with his campaign. What about that? How does Gerald Butts factor into all of this, considering he resigned way back when? Uh, the report comes out and pretty much confirms everything that Jody Wilson-Raybould said, uh, and he's back in the picture. What does that say? It suggests that he trusts Butts. I mean, Butts is a buddy of his going back to college days, and um, he just trusts him. He's got other, other people advising him as well. My hunch is, although I, can't, I don't have any evidence for this, is that uh, Butts is a very significant advisor, not just somebody who's around the, uh, the edges of it because it's somebody he goes back with. Um, and I, it may be Butts whose improprieties aggravated the, the, the situation in the first place. Uh, but clearly, this is—he he doesn't have butts. That is, does not have an official position, and so he will claim that he is just an advisor, as if he's one of dozens that are out there. My hunch is he's pretty significant, along with Katie Telford. Who are, you know, those are the people who've been thought to be most influential with Trudeau uh, going back into the past. Um, that all said, um, you know, you can't stop people from making phone calls to the prime minister and vice versa. Um, and it just suggests that uh, this guy is still out there in in the weeds, and that he. I'm not sure in terms of the original dynamics. Clearly, it was um, was Butts that sort of played the heavy uh, with regard to Wilson Raybo. Right. But um, it may be that that was what, and it may, for all I know, he was the guy that put the idea in the in Trudeau's ear in the first place. I'm not sure about all of that. The irony of all of this, of course, is that policy ultimately didn't change. That in fact, the uh, the the uh, you know the 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 treatment of Lavalin didn't ultimately change as a result of this. But clearly, it was improper. Um, is that it for N- N- SNC-Lavalin? Will they ever see this uh, deferred prosecution agreement? Uh, I, I can't be certain. I, if the Conservatives by chance got in, they might want to revive it. Uh, we're seeing Sheer talking about an RCMP investigation. That's for sure not going to happen before the election. But if by chance the Conservatives form the government, I mean, all sorts of things, I guess, are possible. If the, the, look, the Conservatives are capable of this kind of stuff, too. It just happens that uh, this was on the Liberals' watch. Again, a smarter, more effective Conservative leader might have been able to position himself better. The truth is, Sheer really doesn't, people don't have a sense of Sheer at all. Um, and again, he, he won, the, uh, won the leadership because he was a lot of people's second choice compared to Bernier. And he won it very narrowly even then. Um, he has not been able to distinguish himself particularly, and he should have by now. He should have been able to have certain issues or certain themes that people could at least associate with him. Uh, because now that we're into the election campaign, the conservatives will have good stories about him and, and, and will certainly have policy positions and so forth. But now that we're into the election campaign, the opposition is going to be going after him. So the, the definition of sheer is not going to be something totally in the hands of the conservatives anymore. The liberals will have a hand in defining him as well. They know that, um, that, that Trudeau's character is no longer a strong suit, something that might, he might have seemed fresh and, and different um, in, in terms of the 2015 election talking about the fact, you know, that it's 2015 now when women should have equal representation and it's sunny. All of that stuff that uh, worked effectively right. in, in 2015, bringing the liberals out of third place into first. Uh, but uh, that, those days are gone. Uh, the liberal, liberal campaign will be much more geared to demonizing the conservatives 
and any other party that seems to be doing well, it happens the NDP isn't doing all that well anyway, because Singh has problems as well within his own party. I don't want to dwell on that now. But normally when the liberals do well, um, it's because the, the NDP doesn't do well, and that's mm. the, kind of the situation. Um, I'm not. I, I don't see anybody in the, at the point of being in, in majority government uh, territory at the moment, anyway. But that it's two months, more than two months away. A lot of things can change between now and then. Um, again, I think Trudeau should he survive all this? It just has the good fortune of having mediocrity among his opponents. Uh, is Jody Wilson-Raybould has she been exonerated with this report? Seems to be. Seems to be. And in fact, uh, people look at the various websites, certainly are. We're not the only one that do these seat projections, but um, we have uh, her actually ahead narrowly in the, uh, the Granville, Vancouver Granville writing. And I think this, the, the publicity about this issue will only help her in, in Vancouver. Uh, Jane Philpott, uh, that's a little more questionable. I don't, I don't have her ahead in the, um, the Markham Stouffville writing. But yeah, no, I, uh, clearly Wilson Raybo has been. Um, Ex- not more than exonerated. I think she, you know, she, her, her position has been, uh, I think, been verified. Um, and um, we'll see. Again, I, I don't want to say with certainty that she's going to be in the next parliament, but at the moment it looks like she may well be. Certainly the early polls indicate that. Do you think you're going to see her back in the liberal fold? Don't know. Um, that would be a come down for, um, for Trudeau. Uh, look, if Trudeau is in a minority government situation come October 22nd, uh, a lot of things are possible. I mean, there are, liberals are, will be hoping for a majority and that they can win. And maybe, that, for all I know, the Conservatives may end up with the most seats, although at the moment that doesn't seem to be what the most recent numbers indicate, and that's because of Ontario. In Ontario, the liberals are, are head by, by, by a few points. Um, but clearly she is a liberal. She's withdrawn. Uh, she's avoided the opportunity to be uh, brought into other parties. The Greens were after her. The NDP was after Wilson Raybo. I'm talking about now. Um, and as an independent, she has some uh, some. Uh, I, she may be a liberal one day again. I'm not sure it's going to be under uh, under Justin Trudeau. But the I think the outcome of the election itself will determine just how it sits. If the uh, and if the liberals are in a minority government situation, they're going to have to start making some deals and compromises with other parties. I doubt if Wilson Raybo's one seat is going to make the difference. Um, should, but, they, but other parties may, in fact, sort of suggest things that Wilson Raybo be brought in. We'll see. Should the prime minister's office have handled the release of this report differently? Should he have come out and instead of saying, I'm not going to apologize for saving jobs, you know, in Quebec or with this Quebec company, rather than say, I'm not going to apologize, why not say, I apologize and we're going to make changes and move forward? I think that would have been a little more diplomatic, and I think it would have played better. Um, I mean, he's got advisors that he trusts more than me, and because uh, this does play into the you know the adage that you know, he apologizes for everybody else but refuses to for himself. He makes yeah, he makes the rest of us feel guilty, but somehow that's not shared. Um, yeah, I, I I agree. If I was advising him, I think he could have been a little more uh, a little more tentative and a little more humble in terms of how he responded. Um, my hunch is that it was thought out by his advisors, and it wasn't an accident that he handled it this way. They must have known this was coming. They must have been prepared for yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not sure about the timing, but yeah, actually... What do you mean about the timing? Well, that the it timing was re- could have been even worse. Yeah, I mean, by into, being released closer to the election. Yeah, I mean, if this had happened six weeks from now, um, in say right. r- late September, early October, I think it would be harder to deflect... Um, I think there is going to be a bit of a negative. I'm not sure if it's going to be a big negative. I think there's going to be a bit of a negative uh, for um, li- uh, opinion to, for the liberals. But they have two and I guess two and a half months to be able to um, absorb it and then go on to other things. So in that sense, the timing, it could have been worse. It would have been better if this was a month ago, but it would have been certainly worse if it had been a month from now. And in that sense, I think the timing of it is 
could have been, I don't want to say it's fortuitous because it's not. This isn't good for the Liberals, but it's better now than a month from now. When will we see polling information on this? How will this affect what uh, you and your students are doing up there at Laurier? Well, polls come out fairly frequently. Now, we don't really normally run our own polls. We just scavenge other polls that right. are around. Um, but indeed, polls that will be conducted now, we're st- we, our, our most recent projection was just uh, recently up, uh, is still working with late July figures. Uh, there, will, there will be polls coming out uh, in the next, uh, certainly within a, a couple of weeks from now, we'll have an idea whether this has much of an impact. But, you know, when I look at polls, the numbers I'm most, I'm most concerned about are not the national numbers, but rather the Ontario numbers, because Ontario, as I keep mentioning, has all these swing seats. Um, and at the moment, uh, based on the polls from the last part of the last half of July, the Liberals are now up to about a 5% lead in Ontario. The previous projection was a three-point lead. So it's not just that they're ahead. There's some momentum toward the Liberals, or at least had been. I'm not sure that's going to continue now, but um, there are just more ridings that are going to be affected, more close competitive ridings affected by the Ontario numbers than what's going on in the nation overall, in part because, frankly, in the West, um, the Liberals are going down. They've gone down from the previous poll, but as I mentioned before, there there aren't very many seats that they have to lose out west, and that's why it, it doesn't make uh, that much impact. How much impact will this have in Quebec, the report from the commissioner? Perhaps less. Quebec, let me say, is the province where the Liberals are doing best. I think they've got about a 12-point lead in the province of Quebec based on the last uh, round of polls that we, uh, that we looked at, and they're in a position to win uh, some two-thirds of the seats that are in that province. The Conservatives have some strength around um, around the uh, Quebec City area, and the um, part of the Bloc Québécois has uh, some strength, particularly in rural parts of the province. But in the city of Montreal and in much of urban uh, Quebec outside of Quebec City, um, the, the it's really a liberal show. And my hunch is because all this was done in the name to protect basically a Quebec company. I don't think this is going to hurt in Quebec. If it hurts anywhere, it's going to hurt in places the Liberals don't do very well anyway. Uh, but it's, Quebec's not the key. Uh, Ontario's really going to be the key to the next election. Uh, ethics report this month, Jody Wilson-Raybould's book next month. Does that continue the momentum, or is that disconnected now? Well, I guess she hopes to sell a few copies. Um, I ho- assume it will help her in Vancouver-Granville. Um, but, of course, when you go out on tour and, and try to promote a book, that means you're in front of the press, and you, you know people are going to ask, them, ask her oh, about yeah, this no, as no, much no. as they're going to ask her about the book. Oh, there'll be, look, there'll be discussion of this issue. It's to what extent it resonates. Right. My hunch is that there, I, I don't know what the issues are going to be that are really contentious in the minds of, of Canadians. Um, I mean, now we're, there's the concern about some kind of, uh, of recessionary behavior with regard to investment markets and so forth. I think issues like that will probably have a greater impact if we try to predict the world in a couple of months than, than is the case with regard to this issue. But yes, without question, the Conservatives are going to try to fan this issue as best they can. The Conservatives are going to push, push it, and the Conservatives are going to be very negative on Trudeau, just as the Liberals are going to be very negative about Scheer. Um, my hunch is that if, if there's a blip for the Conservatives, it's going to be apparent in the next couple of weeks or so, certainly by the beginning of September. If we haven't seen it then... I think the issue probably will fade, even though there will probably be the Conservatives will continue to fan it. I think they. I, I don't want to make it sound like I've got a crystal ball and that I know what the world's going to look like in a month or two. Uh, you know, our, the projections we do are based on the recent past. But um, if this is going to have clout as an issue, we're going to know about it by Labor Day. Barry Kay has been with us, political science professor, Wilfrid Laurier University. Barry, as always, thanks so much for the time. Hey, give us the website where we can follow what you're doing there and following all these different polls. Uh, Lispop.ca, that's spelled L-I-S-P-O-P dot C-A. 
There's a map as well as seat projections, and that'll be continued to be updated as frequently as polls are coming out. I think there's just new numbers that went up this week um, but based on the late July. But as we move into September, they'll be coming out probably weekly, in some cases maybe even more frequently than that. Thank you, Barry Kay, as always. Much appreciated. Thank you. Barry Kay, political science professor, Wilfrid Laurier University. Listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Now it is out there. The Prime Minister has said he's not going to apologize for trying to save Canadian jobs, I guess, even if that involves bribery and corruption. Uh, here's what he had to say in Niagara on the Lake just a few hours uh, after this story broke. First off, I want to thank the Ethics Commissioner for his report. Uh, and even though I disagree with some of his conclusions, uh, I fully accept this report uh, and take responsibility uh, for everything that happened. Where I disagree with the commissioner, uh, amongst others, is uh, where he says uh, and takes a strong perspective that any contact with the AG, the Attorney General on this issue, uh, was improper. My job as a Prime Minister is to stand up for Canadians and defend their interests. And uh, yes, It is essential that we do that in a way that defends our institutions, that upholds prosecutorial independence. But we need to be able to talk about the impacts on Canadians right across the country of decisions being made. But I accept uh, the report that the commissioner put forward. All right, let's bring in uh, Alyssa Freeman, public relations consultant, Alyssa PR. She is with us now. Alyssa Freeman, thank you for the time. As always, much appreciated. Oh, thank you for having me on, Scott. So the saga continues. I know. It's just juicy, isn't it? Do you think this is going to resonate? Do you mean, do you think the final chapter of this is going to resonate as much as the first chapters did? I mean, we talked about this for weeks when this story first broke. Are are people as interested in the ending? Uh, You know... I hate to say this, but some people are and some people aren't. I, you know, I talked about this with my husband last night. And Why said, so interested the first time and not now? I mean, this is the ending, is it not? I know, but then, you know, it's the way you wrap things up and it's a conclusion. So, you know, there is um, a couple of hashtags that are trend- trending on Twitter right now, such as hashtag Trudeau must resign, and then there's another hashtag that's anti-Trudeau. And listen, whenever I see that, do you think that I think it's, the populists who have all of a sudden sprung up and started tweeting with a, you know, an adverse hashtag, maybe. Do I think it's, you know, different political parties who have gathered their resources and their people and their volunteers and have them tweeting like crazy? Most likely. The issue is very, very complicated. And you and I have discussed this, you know, dis- you know, parsing the SNC-Lavalin issue is like peeling away the layers of an onion. And you know how many thin layers an onion has. So in order to help uh, the Canadian, you know, Canadians understand it, media has taken it upon themselves to provide timelines, to provide explanations. But, you know, nothing is easy. Everything is a full page spread. And if you can get through that, well, then maybe you have a better understanding. It's an interesting one as to how much it will resonate. I can tell you where it will resonate. It'll probably resonate in the uh, in the debates. People will be all over him with that. And it has to resonate with, you know, the opposition. But I need to tell you, this was such a juicy thing, you know, basically handed to Andrew Scheer on a silver platter. Hmm. And did he knock it out of the park? No. It was a lame performance at best. So if you are incapable, 
of taking a narrative which could essentially and should be as damning as the one as the SNC-Lavalin report has articulated, well, you're already behind the eight ball. So how do you expect Mm. to win a a federal election? What about the prime minister's reaction? Many have talked about uh, his apology to her. All he does is is make everybody else feel guilty because he's continuing, continually apologizing for things that we did 100, 200 years ago, what have you. Um, But he says he's not going to apologize for this, for standing up for Canadian jobs, even though it involves bribery and corruption. You know, here's the thing. What does Trudeau really need to win? Why does he just not apologize and say it won't happen again? Yeah, he'll never walk that back. Listen, I think that there is such animosity between Trudeau, his office, and the Wilson-Raybould camp and the Jane Philpott camp that there is no way no way Trudeau will ever apologize for this. And you got to remember... Even if it means a few more points in an election campaign? No, listen, if, you're, if you want to talk about election campaign, what does Trudeau really need to win? What does he need? He needs Ontario, a lot of it, and he needs Quebec. So whose interest is he really protecting? He's really protecting Quebec's interest. Right. You know, we're, we're, we're still unclear if there really were 9,000 jobs to be lost. Yeah, I mean, we're still yeah. unclear about that. Mm-hmm. But at the time, that's what it seemed like. So everybody had this knee-jerk reaction, and they went into overdrive because, as you know, what Quebec wants, Quebec gets mm-hmm. in this. And and, and does he not? But I mean, he was selling things as as different, sunny ways, all of Canada, the indigenous community, women, whatever. Now he just seems to be the prime minister of Quebec. Listen, look out the window. Forget the sunny ways. It's a cloudy day. And I think that's what we can expect with Trudeau uh, if he gets in. And I think that some people would be pulling their hair out if that was the scenario. But, you know, I think the real question to Canadians is, what was my life like four years ago? And is it any better or is it any worse? Or was my life better eight years ago, you know, when four years before that, when Harper was in, in, in power? So, you know, I have to say that the narrative and, you know, getting that narrative out on behalf of the Conservative Party has been weak at best. You know, maybe they're putting all their eggs into one basket and, and doing it in the run up before the, or as soon as the writ is dropped. I don't know. But really, do we still have any idea who Andrew Scheer is? Has he created any presence? Has there been any presence to what the, what the party really stands for? No, no, and no. So Trudeau can go all across this country apologizing for this, that, and the other, but he's never going to walk back SNC-Lavalin because the media will basically take the clips of saying that there wasn't any wrongdoing and then juxtapose that on the same screen with a split screen of him saying, I apologize, Mm. believe me. They know the optics of that. And if there's one thing that political parties understand really well is optics. What about Jody Wilson-Raybould? Is she exonerated now? Yes, I think that she is. And it's interesting. I was watching CBC last night and they were doing sort of like people on the street interviews. And there are some people who would say, I never voted for her then. I'm not going to vote for her now. But I think the people in her riding love her regardless. I don't know if Jane Philpott has that same uh, love in her riding. You know, running as an independent is hard. You're supposed to represent your constituency, but if you're a lone voice in the wind, how much of a representation are you going to provide other than being that noisy voice or that squeaky wheel uh, that is trying to keep the government in check? So, you know, I don't know. 
Gerald Butts. Uh, he was a part of all of this in uh, a lightning rod when this all went down to the point where he resigned along with the clerk of the Privy Council, Michael Wernick. Uh, Gerald Butts is back in the fray and helping Trudeau with his campaign. How vocal does he stay? Does he stay out of the limelight? Will he stay out of the limelight? Will this resonate? He will definitely stay out of the limelight, but he will be like glue uh, by Justin Trudeau's side. Remember, this is a 30-plus-year friendship that started in the early days of McGill. Trudeau trusts him implicitly, and when you're in politics, finding people to trust is tough. So there's no way that he would ever let go of uh, Jerry Butts, number one. Number two, I think it was always known that he would absolutely uh, be part of the uh, campaign election cabinet. You know, there's just no way. So even though Jerry Butts is not necessarily a, a presence within the PMO, trust me, I think he's a phone call away. You know, I always heard this story that when Queen Elizabeth wanted to talk to her sister Margaret, she'd basically pick up the phone and then she'd be on the other end. I'm pretty sure it's much like that between Justin Trudeau and Jerry Butts. Uh, How long before we start to see polling reaction to this? Soon. Fast. Now. I mean, they've got to be. I can tell you. I can tell you that yesterday morning I received a call from some conservative group. It was an odd name, but. You know, because I do these interviews with you, Scott, I want to know what people are asking. Mm. And that call came in. I mean, what time was the report released? I don't know what time the press conference was last yesterday, but... Yeah, and it was earlier in the morning because it was just breaking, actually, as I came on the air. So probably about 1130-ish, somewhere in there, just before noon. So I was otherwise engaged, and I didn't get right on the breaking news. And I need to tell you that at about, I don't know, 1 o'clock or 12 noon or, or whatever... Those uh, calls were coming in from the call centers. Would you still vote for Justin Trudeau based on these allegations? Mm. So if you want to know when the polling's happening, it's happened, and they're already looking at the numbers. So if you get a quick read on what some of those numbers tell you, which they can do within a very, very, used to be 24 hours. I don't even think you need to wait that long anymore. You get some very quick numbers, not a complete analysis by any stretch of the imagination, but some very quick numbers. And then you think, okay, well, maybe this isn't resonating with people, so now let's start a Twitter campaign. You know, some of these things are organic, Scott, and some of these things are extremely planned Mm. down to the minute. Uh, Is, you know, when you consider, I I was just talking to a uh, political science professor a little earlier on, and certainly not the the first one to to call uh, uh, Trudeau lightweight. I mean, I've had others call him vacuous on the air. Um, but he also said that so are the rest of them, and that's probably Trudeau's best chance. The fact that none, of, you know, if there was a stronger conservative leader, chances are this would be over by now. Well, that's true, and I think you know I was reading the other day about like let's look at the bench, let's look at the bench strength. You know, at some point when Doug Ford was running, he realized that maybe you know he wasn't all that in a bag of chips, so he better trot out what his campaign cabinet would look, what his cabinet, his actual cabinet would look like, and that's a fairly impressive group of people when you looked at some of them, like Christine Elliott, et cetera. You know, so Mm -hmm. if you look at what the the conservatives have been trotting out, I mean, who do they have to trot out in terms of, you know, who the cabinet would be? I don't know. I can't think of anybody. There might have been Jason Kenney, but now I think he's under scrutiny. And then you look at the liberals, you know, who are they going to trot out? Well, Christia Freeland. Christia Freeland polls really well in her riding. And in fact, my daughter knocked on doors for Christia Freeland. And I have to tell you, overwhelmingly, 
people were very positive and reiterated their support for her in the next federal election. I wonder how she feels about Jody Wilson-Raybould. You know, that would be one of those fly-on-the-wall conversations Wouldn't it, that you though? and I would both like to be there at. <laughs> it's, uh, it's fascinating uh, that this... Many, many thought way back when that this story would not resonate, that it was too deep into the political weeds. As you said, the whole SNC-Lavalin scandal is quite complex. That being said, for some reason, it resonated. Why did it resonate then? Why will it or won't it resonate now? I think it did resonate, and then I think that people were like, okay, enough already. So then when you release a report, which is, I guess, weeks out from the writ being dropped, um, timing is everything. So how are you going to capitalize on the report? You know, does Trudeau care about the fallout of the report? Of course he does. Are they monitoring Twitter? Of course they are. Um, they will continue polling to see what their resonance is a week out, like tomorrow, a week out, two weeks out, and so they know what they're up against. Trudeau will continually have to answer to this all across the country. How do they do that? that Can they just keep saying the same thing that they've saying? Will they have to change their position on this in any way? I mean, are they going to sell it the way they do right to the the election? Yep, they got to keep on the same messages. I disagree with some of the report, but I accept it. So if you don't accept the report, then you go... What does that mean? What does that mean, though? I'll tell you what it means, Scott. I thought of the perfect phrase for you before I came on. Are you ready? Yep. (laughs) Conscription, but not necessarily conscription. (laughs) And that's what this is. Yeah, yeah. I disagree with some of the findings in the report, but I accept it. Hmm. Meaning... Okay, he may have been right in certain areas, but I'm not going to apologize because I disagree with some of it. But the report is here, and I'm not going to go down any further big black holes and create any more inquiries and and, and create any more noise than I need to. That's the cutoff line. So the block is, I don't agree with everything. And the bridge is, I accept, but I accept the report. So move on, people. Uh, yeah, but unfortunately he doesn't have that choice. He, he doesn't no, make he, that call. He, he uh, will be answering to it, and I think it really depends on how the opposition hammers away. So, uh, like your previous expert, uh, the political scientist, uh, very rightly said, listen, there is, there is not a strong opposition leader in this case. Right. And, and if this doesn't do it, if this doesn't do it for Andrew Scheer, what would? I mean, you know, if, if you don't make I, this I, happen... Canada what? falling into Hudson's Bay. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the Conservatives have to be banging their heads. You know, every time that Andrew Scheer comes out with some sort of pronouncement, I kind of, you know, monitor his his behavior. I monitor his delivery. I monitor, you know, the reaction. Like, what, how do I feel about the way he's talking? And does he inspire any confidence or, you know, spark in me? And... You know, I have to say... But did Stephen no. Harper? <laughs> I mean, that's what everybody said about him. Well, I think they... What do they call Andrew Shearer? A smiley Stephen Harper? At least he looked mean, Scott. Yeah. I suppose. Uh, as this moves forward, uh, we have this in uh, uh, August, come September. Uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould's book drops. Will that reignite this? People want to buy the book. I mean, so from again, it's a, I've, I've often thought it's irrelevant what's in the book. What, what that is, is that will get her before the press and the press well, asking her questions about all of right? this. So, sure. So I understand that Warren Kinsella was the one sort of masterminding the whole PR and communication strategy for both Jody Wilson-Raybould and uh, Jane Philpott. 
So, uh, so you know, those McLean covers, those interviews, those, um, you know, tidbits of information dropping away uh, the testimony. And having a book drop right before a federal election is certainly just another part of that communications calendar. It's part of that strategy of keeping the narrative alive. So here's the thing. Is Judy Wilson, is Jody Wilson-Raybould going to be able to ruin the prime minister's chances all by herself? Is she going to contribute to that negative narrative in a way that is uh, very impactful? I think that that remains to be seen. So I think what we have to do is watch how that press tour uh, rolls out. Listen to the messages that will be said over and over and over again. And what she says is going to be very carefully crafted. It's going to be very colloquial. It's going to be something that people don't have to, or it should be, that people don't have to parse apart that's very, very simple. So let's see what happens there. Have people become so cynical about politics in general and this whole issue they just don't care anymore? They're going to give them a pass? Some people will. Because some people feel that, well, all politicians do this. Yeah. And some people will feel like, yet that he was protecting jobs. Some people will feel that, I, I don't think that Andrew Shear is any better. Some people will feel that, you know, Trudeau's new rhetoric is Doug Ford equals Andrew Shear, mm-hmm. which is something that the unions helped craft for him, and he's definitely jumping off of that. You know, if we look at that quote-unquote gun control summit that Trudeau recently had with John Tory, yes, they talked about gun control and how it's a problem, and well, well, we really couldn't do anything until we're in power in October, you know. So, you know, while we while we agree the issue is horrible, uh, we can't do anything about it. However, I have something else to say. And the other something else is, if you want a country run like this province is being run with right. Doug Ford, mm. well, you know, people, uh, this could actually happen. So that is his narrative. Once he gets out of whatever he needs to talk about, he will bridge right to... Sort of the Doug Ford equals Andrew Shearer. Do people like uh, do people like the new prime minister as much as they like the old prime minister when he was running? It was all sunny ways. It was all positivity. Now it seems all doom and gloom, all doom and gloom and negativity. Will that sell? Does that Trudeau sell? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you how it, it could sell for the conservatives. The conservatives are you know really masters at that negative spin. They they, they really are. And I'm, I don't want to say I'm looking forward, but I'm, I'm interested to see how they play that. You, you know, you sit in these meetings and you have all sorts of narratives that are before you. And definitely on that creative brief will be sunny ways. How do we articulate the lack of sunny ways and what's really in store? A great narrative and a simple idea, which conservatives are great at doing, by the way, can be a game changer. And right now, all the messages that they are parroting through Andrew Shear mm-hmm. have not been a game changer. They will have to rely on their campaign in order to really sway the minds of voters. Alyssa Freeman has been with us, public relations consultant Alyssa PR, talking about the latest that is breaking in regard to the release of the report from the Ethics Commissioner on the SNC-Lavalin Jody Wilson-Raybould affair. Alyssa, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right. Uh, we all want to read you this because uh, this uh, is just coming out on the uh, Global News website. Tories seek emergency ethics committee meeting after bombshell SNC-Lavalin report, says a source. Uh, the Conservatives want to hear from the ethics commissioner directly on his bombshell report to the SNC-Lavalin affair. Now, remember the inquiry that was way back when? Uh, that was eventually shut down by the Liberals. Um, that same committee wants to call now uh, Mario Dion back, or Marion Dion, the commission's, uh, the ethics commissioner, in order to get his take on all this. A Tory source tells Global News that the party has requested a meeting of the ethics committee in order to move a motion to get Mario Dion to appear. Uh, Conservative MP Bob Zimmer is the chair of that committee and the authority to call a committee meeting. It'll be interesting to see if that pans out. All right, uh, I guess we'll touch on that with Elliot. And, uh, of course, what's been happening south of the border and uh, even more so, even more afar, uh, farther, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, I'm going back to that sleep thing. Uh, and especially what's happening in Hong Kong. Uh, we heard, uh, we've had many experts on this show of late that said Donald Trump is speaking volumes with his silence on this issue, uh, basically saying that it's China's problem. Now he alludes in a tweet that perhaps he and the uh, Chinese president can have a personal meeting. To talk more about all of this, Elliot Tepper is with us, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University. He is with us now. Elliot, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Uh, Good afternoon, Scott. I guess let's start here closer to home. Your thoughts on uh, what has happened with the release of the the report from the Ethics Commissioner? Well, by and large, as you know, I, 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 of course, have followed all this intensely and closely, but rarely comment publicly on it. But uh, I would two quick comments. The first is that I think a lot of what we see is very traditional core elements of Canadian politics. One of the key dynamics of Canadian politics is always regionalism, one region and another region and another region. So I suspect that Quebec is going to say, as they have, what's wrong with the prime minister saving our jobs? Why are you objecting out there in the West? And the West, and B.C. in particular, saying, oh, you're... You know, we, we had a very strong leader, and now we don't. And so p- part of the underlying era all this is normal politics, in a sense. But second of all, something I've never seen is uh, the RCMP may decide who becomes the next prime minister of Canada, hmm. because there is a small report that the RCMP is looking at whether or not to take a look further into this themselves. Hmm. So that would be, I think, a, a game-changer, whether... If, if they don't, if, they, if that's not a factor, it looks like it might just be back into normal politics, back and forth. Do we have enough time between now and the election to get it out of the way, or can it be kept going through the election? And so it, but um, if the RCM, RCMP opens up a criminal investigation against the prime minister, or even non-criminal, but uh, with the RCMP right. it's automatic, that would be a game changer. What, what are the chances of that? Is no the, idea. Yeah. Now, this is... Uh, the fact that the the big news is is that they might be considering it, yeah. and I think that's not gotten sufficient attention. That's what, of course, Scheer has called for, but I don't imagine that's why they're doing it. They're 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 looking to see if out of this report they have a duty or not, and uh, whether which way they go can affect who becomes prime minister. 
All right, I'll leave it at that. Uh, Let's head down south of the border. Anyone who I have talked to in regard to the situation in Hong Kong of late, since these 10 weeks of of protests started, uh, has said that Donald Trump has been uh, 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 visibly silent on this, speaking volume with his silence, uh, and basically alluding that it's China's problem. Uh, Now he has uh, tweeted out or did yesterday uh, saying of uh, President Xi of China, uh, he is a good man in a tough business. I have zero doubt that if if President Xi wants to quickly and uh, humanely solve the Hong Kong problem, he can do it. And then he has personal meeting with a question mark after that. Yes, and now, uh, just to update that slightly, he's now clarified his tweet saying, personal meeting question mark meant he thinks uh, that this could all be solved. So basically, I want to say that you're quite correct. He's going to continue a hands-off. What he's saying now is he was suggesting that if President Xi Jinping met with Mm. Hong Kong, then it could be sorted out humanely quickly. Uh, So he was not suggesting a personal meeting between the two leaders. He was suggesting that, hey, you guys over there go sort it out. And he's got great confidence in his great friend, Xi Jinping, to do so. Your thoughts on this tweet now that it has been clarified? The, uh, there's several different thoughts, but the, the primary one is, is, is to continue the line that has been most pointed out, that the United States, under this leadership, has no intention whatsoever of leading. Mm. Uh, there's, uh, and, and I'll continue that in a, a little further, but staying with the United States they've made it clear that they have no intention. And once again, through this tweet, this exchange, that's going to maintain the position, be the position of the U.S. going forward, at least for now, that the U.S. doesn't have a role to play here. You guys over there go sort it out. Now, Congress, of course, is taking a different... uh, Members of Congress are taking a different position. Um, Both Republicans and Democrats are saying other things. Even Mitch McConnell has been vocal about this. Well... You know, he's Moscow Mitch, he's not Beijing Mitch. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> so the Chinese open up a plant in, his, in Kentucky, maybe they'd do something differently. Anyway, uh, so right now, the key factor, and I, if I could kick this up one level to a global perspective, we have a U.S. Uh, government which refuses to lead. And it's the only power on earth that can really take a leadership role that can affect things. The United Kingdom has a very special role to play in regard to Hong Kong, but they're unable to lead anymore. They are severely weakened. Their internal uh, issues over Brexit, uh, plus, you know, being separate from EU, they're just one voice. So they, they, have, they lack the ability to lead. The EU is weakened. They lack the ability to lead. Uh, the U.S. doesn't wish to lead. And that leaves those who are saying, yes, we will lead, and that's Russia. In this case, they're being fairly quiet. But that leaves China. And China has just been told by the president that, uh, hey, this is your business. You guys do what you want. Just, you know, we hope you'll do it humanely. Is he using this as leverage in the trade deal? I'll keep my nose out of Hong Kong. I want a good deal for us. Well, he, if you wanted leverage, you would go the other way, don't you think? Uh, saying, you know, the U.S. could do a lot on Hong Kong, but... We're thinking about it, and but right now we're not going to do anything. By the way, let's get back to our trade talks. So it looks as if he doesn't want to use Hong Kong uh, as a bargaining chip or as a as a form of leverage. Um, 
perhaps a bargaining chip. And that's, that's uh, you know, from the great negotiator. I'm not a great negotiator. Maybe he is. That seems odd. Uh, his quote in the tweet, I have zero doubt that if President right. Xi wants to quickly and humanely solve the Hong Kong problem, he can do it. He is, can it, do it. Is yep. that alluding to he doesn't? Well, um, I mean, my goodness, this has been going on for 10 weeks. And that's followed by this personal meeting question mark, which has led to all the right. speculation that he's volunteering to mediate. And now he's clarifying, no, 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 I wasn't saying I'm got, well, I, want, I want a personal meeting. They should have a personal meeting. And that goes back to his earlier comments that um, these are rioters, which is what Beijing calls the protesters. And uh, this is between Hong Kong and China. Of course, China's uh, got all rights to, to do handle this. So it's truly a hands-off. It's none of our affairs. Uh, and uh, my concern with China is being sure that the prices don't go up at, at Walmart just before uh, at Christmas time, so I pay a penalty. So he's not going to put extra tariffs on, admitting for the first time, by the way, that tariffs are really a tax on the American consumer. He's not really collecting billions of dollars directly from China, which is what he's been suggesting. Um, is, you know, we're, we're certainly watching things in China change. I mean, as we've talked about many times for the last several decades, that's where the opportunity is always said to have been, the, the golden goose. Right. All this sor- sorts of things. Uh, I- interesting po- uh, uh, column uh, by a professor at, at Brock um, in the Globe and Mail the other yeah. day that s- suggested things weren't necessarily as rosy in China as we think. Uh, yeah. They're they're not necessarily a- as uh, as calm and copacetic. That there's a lot of infighting going on, and some are not happy the way she is handling things, considering uh, the recent success of that country and now the recent tarnish of their image yes, are, are things as strong and because everybody's predicting this is the century for china this is the century they, yes. they overtake the world is yes. that a, is that a is that a slam dunk not only do they say you know that china has said this is the century we, we have yeah. by 2030 we're going to be here and by 2050 we're going to be dominant so they actually have a blueprint or xi jinping has a blueprint uh essentially and more broadly speaking i have great respect by the way for the author of that uh, that uh, comment, he's, he's served in Beijing with the Canadian government. Mm-hmm. He's a sinologist, and he speaks Chinese. And so he, he's uh, worth always listening to. But uh, standing back one half a notch, this is a regime, a communist regime in power, which has become increasingly under the control of a single per- person who's basically saying, yeah, we're communist, uh, but really I'm Confucian. This is, we're going to do a Mandarin it, and and we're going to be governed by the mandate of heaven that I have assumed, Xi Jinping. And all that works fine as long as they can deliver the goods. That is, uh, everybody might be happy, give them full credit. They've taken more people out of poverty than anybody in history, and it's uh, many, many achievements under the party. But uh, they've also created a middle class, which is traditionally the bearers of democratic reform uh, as a political scientist. So if they can continue to deliver the goods, fine. Uh, they might get away with it, because at the time of the handover, linking this to Hong Kong, uh, there was a lot of speculation that the one country, two systems meant that the British type of system that Hong Kong would be allowed to keep for 50 years, we're 22 years into that, who knows, it might be contagious, and China might evolve in a direction toward Hong Kong, but in fact, um, it's gone the other way, as we see, and now 
China wants, uh, Beijing wants to impose, you know, their authoritarianism basically on, on Hong Kong, contravening the deal. As long as that regime can deliver the goods, in this case, since it's become a highly personalized regime under Xi Jinping, as that column pointed out, uh, collective leadership had emerged after the fall of Mao Zedong and Deng Xiaoping, who, who was the master who transformed China with his policies of we don't care what color the cat is as long as it catches mice. Mm. So as long as they deliver the goods, he might get away with it. But if he's now pulled in multiple directions, and they were doing something wasn't mentioned, and they were changing their economic model anyway, away from the export-oriented uh, everything we buy at uh, Canadian Tires right. there, uh, toward, ah, we got a billion three here, a billion four people. Domestic consumption is now going to become the driver of the future of the economy, hmm. so we're not as dependent on trade. This is a transition they're underway anyway, and then they've got the Uyghur situation with the, a million there, and suddenly the United States is saying, hey, we don't like the way you've conducted trade. Uh, it's been unfair. You've been stealing our things, the intellectual property, etc. So, yes, he's suddenly more beleaguered, but it's by no means clear he's going to be threatened. He was also, by the way, uh, uh, the big threat in the, in, inside the view of the party, certainly Xi Jinping, was all power corrupts, and they have all power, so they need an anti-corruption campaign to keep the party pure. But it's long been hmm. suggested Xi Jinping was using it just to eliminate his enemies, the factional enemies that might bring him down. So surely there are factions uh, within the party and outside the party. And the issue of uh, whether Hong Kong and their demand for democracy might be contagious. We have Taiwan on the other side, a robust democracy that Canada perhaps should be supporting a whole lot more as a result of what we see. You know, does Canada have leverage, Scott? Well, maybe we should be nicer to Taiwan. Hmm. So uh, that's kind of the mix of things right now. How can he have such a different opinion of Congress? Um, uh, and who does Hong Kong believe, Congress or the president? Uh, again, to read the complete tweet, uh, uh, I know President Xi of China very well. He is a great leader. Who much has the, who ha, who very much has the respect of his people. He's also a good man in a tough business. I have zero doubt, as I mentioned before, he can quickly and humanely right. solve the problem. Yet you have Congress saying they are deeply concerned about what's going on. He's yes. calling them. He's calling she a great leader. Congress is saying they're deeply concerned. How do you how do you square this? And even Republicans, uh, some Republicans yeah. are, are on that. Uh, Xi Jinping, one explanation for what we've seen under the Trump uh, regime administration is that he really likes strong men and strong men recognize each other so that sure he gets along with Xi Jinping and prefers him and he likes Putin as well maybe Duterte because basically they can ignore all of them each of them can can ignore domestic opinion all they want even in the US if if uh, Trump cannot be challenged by the Republican Party then Xi Jinping and he can see eye to eye. There's no reason for Xi Jinping to worry about Republicans in or Congress at this stage. The concern would be if sanctions might get passed. So why hasn't why hasn't Xi Jinping moved so far? The, these protests have been going on. They remember that it's been several weeks ago that the protesters took over the uh, Chinese 
embassy, basically, de facto, and uh, defaced it and put, you know, rude things on the walls. And they didn't trash it. They defaced it. So that was a direct uh, affront. And now more and more of the protesters are carrying American and, by the way, Australian and other flags and saying more and more what we actually want is democracy here. So the direct confronting of Xi Jinping, why has he held back so far? Why hasn't he moved? And one of the reasons, one of the reasons to come back to what you ask is, well, maybe the U.S. could then do something because if he did move, then Congress might be able to force the president to impose sanctions that could actually hurt an already shaky Chinese economy. Uh, what happens if this escalates? What happens if this only gets worse? How does Donald Trump stay out? How does he not offer an opinion? Well, um, he's offering opinions. Uh, great yeah. leader, good guy. Yeah, <laughs> so, I guess he is. And it's, yeah. you know, it's a Chinese domestic issue. So he's, he has, as you opened up with, uh, some other commenters you apparently have been interviewing, saying his silence speaks volumes. When he says that these are rioters, and this is only between China and Hong Kong, that can be considered a green light yeah. to Xi Jinping to go ahead and act. And something hardly noticed at all was that Mike Pompeo met a few days ago in New York with a senior person from China, a very uh, a top in, inner circle guy, who's not a trade person, uh, but a political person. What did the two talk about? Did, they, did the fellow from China say, are you going to do something if mm. we move? Did they say... Uh, you know, do you want to link this to trade? We don't know the nature of that conversation, but the Secretary of State of the United States did have a quiet conversation with an emissary from Xi Jinping a few days ago. Was that another green light? Mm. All right. We, uh, I should mention, too, uh, it was Charles Burton from Brock University yes, who penned the uh, Globe and Mail article we were talking about yesterday. I wanted to give him credit. Sure. Uh, this is ongoing. I'm sure we will chat again, Elliot. Elliot Tepper has been with us, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University. Elliot, as always, thank you so much for the time. Have a great You're very day. You're welcome, Scott. It's always, uh, always good to chat with you. You take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.